If you have your Bibles, go with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. We're continuing in our series, which actually this will be the last week, on talking about the church is God's display of His manifold wisdom. And we will once again, this week in particular, be thinking and looking at what is biblical leadership in God's chosen means to display His manifold wisdom Again, the church. Now this is important for a couple reasons. It's important because it's God's graciousness to us as a church. As we think through this, um, it is His graciousness to give us leaders in the church to carry out, to help us carry out this displaying the manifold wisdom of God practically each day, each week, each year. So it's God's kindness, and it's also practical for us to do this at this point. Because as I said last week, our desire is hopefully in 2016 to to begin the uh, process of of welcoming actual deacons as a church. So that's an exciting thing. And then also our hope is over this next year, two years, to, to bring on another elder or two or three, however many the Lord uh, has planned. Uh, and so we, we want to teach in this way. I want you guys to be prepared. I want you guys to understand what are the scriptures have to say about these various topics and uh, ones that are very important to the church and, and very important to our season of life as a church. And so for that, we have broken from Ephesians to take a couple weeks to look at these ideas of the deacons and elders, particularly this week. Uh, and then, as I've said, the next few weeks will be in Hebrews, and then we'll pick back up in Ephesians just after the first of the year. Um, as you can tell, uh, I do not have a baby number four yet, uh, and so if you see me dart out to this door, my wife just stepped out and said, let's go. Uh, and uh, so, we do a, yeah, and re- yeah, I'll, I'll tag, Rusty will come up and finish. And so don't, don't think like, oh, we're done for the day, right? Because it doesn't work that way. We have 52 times a week to preach, and we take advantage of every opportunity. So with that said, Rusty will most, I would imagine, most likely be preaching the next couple weeks. Um, I'm going to let him do all the hard work of preparing the sermon. And then, uh, and if she doesn't go, then I'll just preach his sermon next week, like, he almost, you know, maybe have gotten to do this week. And I told Sarah, said, as long as we're home from the hospital, if it's okay with you, I'd like to go preach. Uh, I did all the hard work and, uh, of this week in preparing, and then I, just to hand that off to Rusty just doesn't seem fair to me uh, to let him preach it. So uh, anyways, here we are talking about God's manifold wisdom on display through the church, talking about deacons. Today we're going to talk about elders, right? This is extremely important. If we're going to be a covenant community like we see in the New Testament and like we talk about all the time as a church, then biblical leadership in the church is not a negotiable point. It's not something that we can spend five years figuring out or five years making the transition I think this is something that biblical leadership is so important that it needs to be present now. 
And I thank God in many ways, whether not necessarily by intentionality on our part, uh, but many things, as Rusty and I recount over the life of Renovation Church, we find ourselves going, awesome, we're doing what is right, but we didn't realize we were doing it in the process. Uh, we, uh, we've lately been reflecting on many different aspects of ministry that we, and how we do certain things and going, wow, I, we didn't intend to do it that way, like with like lots of intentionality. God just was very kind, I think, in directing us to do some things some certain ways uh, that we now look at and have taken more time to look through scripturally and go, yeah, I think that that's right. I think that that's good. And thank God that even in our ignorance, He was still guiding and leading us. Uh, nevertheless, one of the things that we did intend to set up from the very beginning was to have a plurality of elders. We wanted to have at least two, because we believe that's what the Scriptures taught, and some various points that you'll see here today concerning elders. Now let me say this, the temperature of our culture, if you just kind of take a gauge of our culture, is that nobody really wants anyone in authority over them. Right? I mean, you look at the secular world, you look in the church, you look in school systems, all this stuff. We don't really want, a lot of these times, we don't want people in authority over us. We want to be able to say what we want to do, do what we want to do. We don't, just look at all the animosity towards police that's going on right now, all the animosity even towards school systems with, we've got to have these rights to do these things, and all this stuff, and and, and, and watch like when, when, when kids mess up in school, what do the parents typically do? It's, it's always like the teacher's fault, right? Like it's always the authority's fault. Why? Because we don't like authority ourselves. We as parents don't like authority. So the temperature of our culture is, and, and then, then the church is just as bad. It's shamefully just as bad. See, see, in the church, we really like the idea of having spiritual shepherds and pastors until they get in the way of us doing what we want to do. Right? Can we just let that sink in for a moment? We like the idea of spiritual leaders until they get in the way of us doing what we want to do. I can attest that that's been the case, even in this church here. And it's sad. It's incredibly sad. But our vision as a church is this, is to, uh, the, by the way, the bulletins are coming around, around now. I guess they have either been found or resurrected from the dead, one or the other. Sorry, it was a bad church joke. Jesus resurrected from the dead. Like, so, just in case you didn't get that joke. Do what? Yeah, this is where we hoot and holler. See the sign right here? It says hoot and holler. <laughs> so we can all warm up, okay? Because um, I'm going to be moving up here. I'm going to be sweating before we're done. But All right, we should continue. So our vision here, now that you have the things, you can take notes. I've not gotten to point one yet, as is typically the case. So you haven't missed anything yet. All right, so our vision, again, is to see the gospel renovate everything. So let's talk about this for just a, but a moment. Your priorities in time, your priorities in money, the emotions that control our actions often, the loves of our heart. These are all things that we want to see the gospel renovate. 
Now, if we're going to accomplish this vision, hear me with this, we need leaders, particularly elders, who will define the vision, push the vision, lead the vision, and keep us from getting distracted from the vision. Now, that sometimes is a painful process, both for those, those leading and for those following. Now, if we're going to accomplish this vision, see the gospel invade everything, then we also need followers who understand the authority that the elders carry. They seek that to seek to persuade themselves to their point of view. Also, followers who love and trust and care for their elders. Now, no matter where you're at in life, this idea is extremely and infinitely important. We are talking about this. We're talking about how the glory of Christ is displayed in the church and how it starts with and is led by the leaders who should be displaying the glory of Christ as well. Guys, eldership in the church, pastors in the church, we call them elders here a lot. Elders in the church is about so elders eldership in the church rather is about so much more than just dudes who come up with, lead, control programs of the church. It's not just about being the guys who make sure that there are certain things available to you for your convenience. Nor are they the dudes that simply do hospital visits, funerals, and weddings. It's more than that. So that said, I want to jump into Acts 20 here. I want you to hear my heart. It is awkward to preach on eldership. uh, In a sense, because it feels very self-serving. It sounds like, hey guys, like, here's an elder, and this is what you should do. And by the way, I'm an elder too, you know, and so obey me. I mean, it's, it's just what it feels like, okay? Okay, just understand, even when I'm thinking through these things, like how a leader is supposed to help us display the glory of Christ by displaying the glory of Christ himself. Like I'm thinking, like, I struggle with that. So even when I'm saying these things, it doesn't mean that I think that I have them perfectly. But the one who is my righteousness did these things perfectly, and I trust him. So I'm going to let the scriptures speak with authority in the midst of even the potential awkwardness. So here's the text. As you know, I don't like judges jumping into text, but we're going to this morning. Uh, here's a little bit of background. This is actually pretty cool compared, considering where we've just come from in Ephesians. But getting into Acts 20 here, Paul is talking to the elders, the pastors, the overseers in Ephesus. Right? So what we've been reading through and who this, letters, this letter was written to, the elders in that church, Paul is now addressing them particularly here in Acts 20. Paul preached in Ephesus, but then handed the leadership over to these guys. So he started the church in Ephesus, began training them, discipling them, leading them, and then hands over the leadership to these guys who are the elders in the church in Ephesus. Paul here, though, is headed to Jerusalem, and what he does is he asks the elders from Ephesus to come meet with him because he's getting ready to leave on a dangerous trip. And from this conversation, I think we will get a very good picture 
of what elders are supposed to do, how they're supposed to function, what, what are their goals, what are their tasks when it comes to the church. So with that said, let's read Acts 20. We're just going to read verse 17 through 31, and that will be our reference for most of what I'm going to say this morning. Verse 17. It says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus called and called the elders of the church to come in. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace of God, which is the, the ministry that we've all received, by the way. I'm going to insert. We all have that same ministry. Verse 25. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone out, I'm gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Listen here, verse 28, particularly here to the end. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Again, he's talking to the elders here. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. I just lost my spot. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. And all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed for them all. And there was much weeping on part of all, on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we study your word this morning, that 
It is your word that would stick hard, that would stick afresh to our minds. That would guide our hearts and our thoughts as we think about this very important issue of eldership and elders and pastors in your church, Father. I give you praise, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so here we have a picture of Paul spending time with the leaders in Ephesus, particularly the elders in Ephesus. And I want us to see here, very simply, four responsibilities of elders in a church. Now again, just, just so we're clear, this is very important. There's application for this greatly for you. I mean, the elders are ultimately for your good, for God's glory and for your good. So knowing their responsibilities and how to rightfully respond to those responsibilities is very, very, very important. Okay? So four responsibilities of an elder. First one is this. Elders lead under the authority of Christ. Elders lead under the authority of Christ. They are the primary leaders of the church, providing overall leadership. The word elder is used over 70 times in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's used in Numbers and Deuteronomy. You see the guys who surrounded Moses in leadership. These were the elders of the tribe of Israel. In the Gospels, elders referred to Older people, okay? So let's make sure we understand this. Elders in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, refers to older people. And in the Old Testament, of spiritual leaders of Israel. But when you get to Acts and the letters that follow, elder is used, and it's always referring not to an age of people, but to a group of leaders in the church. And it's important to note that it's always in the plural. It's always in the plural, elders leading the church. Now in history, if you just take just a big view of of biblical history, God has always led His people through leaders. I mean, there's times where there's some, you know, where God's got more direct hand on leading His people, pillar and the cloud of fire, and that kind of thing. He's, he's, he's doing some of those things, but, but God is still, His primary means of which He leads His people is through broken people. Now, they don't do it alone, and it's not a dictatorial type leadership. But they also don't do it by majority vote either. But you have a clear group of leaders leading the church in the New Testament very, very clearly called elders or pastors or overseers. We'll get to those terms in a few more minutes. I want to go through a few verses here that preceded Acts 20 just to give us a quick picture of this idea of elders. In verse 23 of chapter 14, it says this, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So what you have here in Acts 14, this is very, very early church, okay? Elders are already beginning to lead in the churches. Then you get to chapter 15, verse 1 through 6. 
go, you can read that later, but they had had a discussion concerning the necessity of circumcision for salvation and keeping the law of Moses. So they're talking about what does it mean to be saved? And the elders sit down to discuss this and make a decision, an interpretive decision of what is the text actually saying. They make a decision, and then in verse 22 of chapter 15, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Now look at this in verse 4 of chapter 16. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So you have elders being chosen. Then they are doing things such as even interpretation, understanding doctrine, and they're leading the and then their decision is being spread throughout the church, throughout the kingdom, throughout the people. This is a very important role. All I really want you to see here is that elders are beginning to lead. The church is recognizing their leadership. It's continuing on. Now we see elders leading the church ever since the very beginning. So let's see another word, though, that is often used interchangeable with the term elder. Look in the passage that we just looked at, chapter 20, verse 28. said this, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you, what? Overseers. To care for the church of God, which is obtained with His own blood. But the, point, the, thing, the main thing I want you to see here is that he, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So you're elders, you're overseers. Now, you can go look at this later, and, and we'll just dab on it, just a, just a touch of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, give about qualifications for elders. Well, in 1 Timothy 3, they're called overseers. Those who have oversight over the flock. And then in Titus 1, Paul actually uses both terms. So Paul clearly wants the idea of elder and oversight and overseers to be thought of synonymously. So these are people, elders, pastors, are people who oversee the church. They have general oversight of everything concerning the church. Now where we have to be careful is that we do not, and I'm going to say this very, very carefully, and I don't want to have to caveat it too much. Uh, Let me start with it. Let me tell a story real quick. I was in a church one time. I was not... I was one of the elders, I was one of the pastors, um, was not the lead pastor, and long story short, we tried to lead through some change, went through a very hard time, and ultimately what happened, we had a, a big group of people in the church that didn't want what the pastors wanted, they wanted to be their own authority, and so on and so forth, came down to a business meeting where there was a vote that took place to define what does oversight mean? Okay, uh, The outcome of that, along with four or five minutes of discussion, they decided to define scripturally, without any scriptural reference, that oversight means the business of the church. So the elders oversaw the business of... I'm sorry, let me back up. I'm being way too kind oversee the spiritual aspect of the church. My bad. 
the spiritual aspect. So praying, hospital visiting, preaching, that was it. Oversight over that stuff, that's it. Um, and so if they said then, is then the next question came up logically, well, who discerns what is spiritual and what is not spiritual, right? I mean, that would be the next logical question. Who would discern that? Well, we would, the, the conclusion was they would discern that by voting on it in a business meeting each month, what would be considered that. So the authority in that situation is very much in the church's hand. <clears throat> but the point that I want to make is that the Scripture doesn't qualify oversight to be just oversight of church affairs, of church business, of church spirituality. No, it, it's, a, it's an oversight over the body. It's an oversight over the flock. It's an oversight over every part of the flock. Both meaning all the individuals and their lives. Now, here's the deal. I don't want that. Like, that doesn't sound fun to me. As a matter of fact, it's not fun. But we have to be careful that we don't define oversight and authority and put a nice hedge around it where we feel comfortable with it. Both the one in authority and the people who are under the authority. We have to be careful. A shepherd is a shepherd. And, and here's the deal. If all of your life is to be following Jesus, and your elders are supposed to help you do that, then that means that their oversight of your life means everything. Okay? That all parts of your life, your prayer life, your financial life, your parenting, all these things, because all, all of these things are to be bringing glory to God, and your elders are supposed to help you do that. So I just wanted to make sure we're being careful not to define oversight in the way it makes us most comfortable. But we take in the big picture of Scripture of what is helping us see when it comes to elders. So, here's what I want to show you. Elders lead under the authority of Christ. This means a number of things. I'm going to give you three. First of all, elders belong to the church. If elders lead under the authority of Christ, then that means elders belong to the church. We've seen the importance of the local church, right? We've seen that. We talk about that a lot as a church. And elders are called to lead. And we talked about this a little bit last week about how they are to lead as servants. Now, I want to, to define this very carefully. When we think about elders, so deacons are supposed to be leading servants. Elders are supposed to be servant leaders. Let me define this for you real quickly. Deacons should be leading in the servitude of the church, the serving of the church. Elders, in everything they do, should be of service to the church. Does that make sense? So what that does not mean is that the elders are supposed to be waiting tables, or in our case, moving mats and setting up chairs, and you know, or or what. I, not, I'm not against doing that, for the record. But, like, but what, what the point is, is that everything we do should be in service to. So whether I'm having a conversation with someone after church, or I'm making a phone call on Tuesday morning, or Rusty and I are having a meeting, 
uh, to pray, to talk, to have lunch. All these things that we do should be in service to the church, should be serving for the church. So I would say this, overall it looks like putting the church first above and before his own needs. That's what it means to be a servant leader. That the church comes first. So elders don't participate necessarily in all the serving, but instead model servitude in all that they do. Let me say that again. Elders don't necessarily participate in all the serving, but instead model servitude in everything they do. Next point. They are appointed by the Spirit of God. This is important. They are appointed by the Spirit of God. Look at Acts 20. Verse 28 says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which what? In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit. So the Spirit is the one who appoints. Elders are not elected like politicians are elected. It don't work that way. Some, a lot of churches do it that way. It just doesn't work that way. But the Holy Spirit leads men to lead the church. Now the way we view that as being fleshed out, just practically, uh, is that for us what would happen is the, the elders would choose new elders and present them to the church to be affirmed. So that's different than electing and who do we want to choose among us to be our next elder. Like, it doesn't work that way. Um, our preference, even, as we think about in the days ahead, is we would, our preference is to always raise up elders from inside the church. Like that's, our, that's our preference. A lot of churches go outside the church to hire new pastors. There's nothing wrong with that. I just don't think it's preferential. Um, I think it's, there's, when you're talking about someone to lead in the kind of way the Bible talks about eldership is to be performed, you bring in someone into this church who doesn't know any of you worth a lick whatsoever, and then now all of a sudden you're supposed to have this intimate pastoral relationship with them, that's really hard. It can be done, and it's not wrong to do it that way, I'm not, but it's really hard. That's tough. That's why they say a pastor in those kind of situations takes like seven or eight years just to gain the trust of the people. Now, that's because of sin, but nevertheless, it's still the reality. And so as we think about this, even for ourselves, our desire is to, if at all possible, to raise from within the church. But elders are not elected. The Holy Spirit appoints them. And I think God has given us means to bring them into position other than simply majority voting. The third thing is this. Elders are accountable to the Son of God, the one to whom the church belongs. Elders are accountable to the Son of God. So again, verse 28, he says, Spiritual Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he, referring to Jesus, obtained with his own blood. What does this mean? The only reason we are gathered here even today is because Jesus Christ and his shed blood. 
and His pain the price for our sins so that we could have the privilege to say that we belong to Him and we belong to each other. The church is based on the blood of Christ. Now think about that and what that means for the leaders in His church. Think about what it means for elders to be held accountable to the Son of God. Do we understand the weightiness of that? The church does not belong to me or any other leader in this church. The church belongs to Christ. Y'all belong to Jesus. And this gathering of people belongs to Jesus. Jesus is ultimately the one in control. And leaders will be held accountable to Him. This is not an easy thing. We lead under the authority of Christ. Now, let's take that and go, what does that mean for followers? What does that mean? It means lots of things. But I want to ask you a couple questions. or Well, really just one question. Do you submit and follow elders as they are an extension of Christ's authority? Right? Think about that for a second. I think sometimes we struggle with that because we ultimately struggle with Christ's authority. But do we submit and follow elders as they are an extension of Christ's authority? Do we view it that way? Now now listen, following and this idea of submission is more than just doing what we are told when instructions are given. Okay? We, We understand the idea of submission and following in the Scriptures is not just, okay, so... I need to go do that because they just said I need to go do that. No, the idea of submission and following, I'm not going to do a treatment of this right now, but the idea that we see in Scripture about submission and following is the idea of seeking out to follow, like to seeking out the will of, to, to pursue following. There's an activeness, not just a receiving, but a, a pursuing, uh, a giving of yourself to follow, seeking the will of another. That's the way we're to follow Christ. It's not just, okay, well, he happened to give me this command last Sunday in the sermon. No, we should be seeking the commands of Christ every day, right? To know more of his commands every day. So there's, a, there's an act of seeking to submit oneself to the discipleship of Jesus Christ. And then, by extension, if elders then are an extension of Christ's authority, then by implication, it means the same thing. That as, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but leave it right there. So do you seek the following of your elders, to, to follow your elders as though there's authority as a direct extension of Christ? First responsibility. Now the second responsibility is this. Elders care for the body of Christ. Elders care for the body of Christ. All right, so we just talked a good bit about elder, overseer. Now let's talk about the idea of shepherd. Talk about the idea of shepherd. This is the part 
Oftentimes, we begin to press into stuff and certain things that people love, certain people love, and certain people do not like or hate. Again, people are okay in many cases. Even us in this church are okay with pastors leading in the church overall. But what about pastors helping to lead in our lives individually? To actually shepherd each one of us towards the gospel. That's why you, when we start talking about some of these things, if this is what eldership looks like, you can't have an elder elding 500 people. Like, it just doesn't work that way. You're not actually elding them. You're not actually shepherding them. You're not actually pastoring them in many ways, like as you should be. Now, that's why I think there's supposed to be a plurality of elders, at least one of the reasons. So you have a sufficient number of elders to effectively pastor and eld the people. Let's jump in. 28. uh, Chapter 20. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And he says this, be shepherds of the church of God. You can go look later at 1 Peter 5. He's talking about being shepherds of the flock, of God's flock. So this is another description for the leaders in the church. They care for the people. They care for the people. Let me just, let me be intimate and transparent with you. Rusty and I know the flock pretty well. And I, I know that there are certain people in our church that like, desire, nurture, and protection, and shepherding from their pastors. Like, it's just obvious. They seek it, they want it, they ask for it, they submit to it, they follow, like, all these things. And then, I, and then there are also people who, like, stay just far enough away from that so that they stay comfortable. They just kind of keep just enough of a distance where they can kind of dip in when they want a little bit of taste of the water, and then they, then they kind of scurry back out real quick, right? Kind of like a little mouse, you know what I'm saying? Have you seen those? Like, just kind of come out for a little bit of food, and then just kind of scurry back in as soon as any kind of light's shown on anything. The same thing. They kind of come out and taste a little bit of food, get their bellies full, and then they kind of scurry away to hide in the dark. That's not healthy. That's not good. That's not taking advantage of the grace that God has given you. But this idea of shepherding means at least two things. First one is this. Elders nurture the flock. Elders nurture the flock. Now I think this is primarily through giving them the word of God. Okay? Primarily through giving them the Word of God. Think back to Acts 6 of last week. They needed deacons so that the pastors could focus on praying and what? The ministry of the Word. The giving the people the Word of God. Feeding the flock. The best thing that your elders can do for you. Hear hear me, okay? The best thing that your elders can do for you is to give you the Word of God. This is the best thing. God has called us for that purpose, to serve you in that way. Why? Because He designed you to need that. 
And he designed his elders to help fulfill that need. It's more valuable than anything else. The shepherd's primary responsibility is to feed the sheep. Like, one thing you gotta understand, I, like, and I know Rusty's heart too, like, we desire to help in every way possible. Like, you gotta understand, I love, I don't, well, I was getting ready to say I love painting. I don't like painting, so don't ever ask me to come paint. But, like, I love doing anything, like, construction stuff and moving things and, like, you know, building walls. All, like, I love doing those kind of things. Like, the, I love just being practically useful with my hands. I love those things. Except painting. Well, I could roll all day long. Just trim work. I just, ah, kill me now. But God has uniquely placed me in your life to serve you in a different way. And so it's not advantageous to you or anybody else to use me in ways that are not primarily the way God has gifted and and encouraged in the situation. Here's the deal. Like, if you need help, ask for help. I'm, I'm not saying don't ask me to come help you with your house or whatever. I'm not saying that. Um, I'm just saying, understand, this is, we don't have so much time, right? 24 hours in a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. There's only so much of that. And so, that also means is you can come do all the housework in my house if you want to, uh, so that I can spend more time praying and reading my Bible. Uh, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> the elders are to nurture the flock. That's the thing I want you to see. I also want you to see that this looks like more than just preaching. Okay? This is more than just preaching. Matter of fact, I'd say that that's a primary role, but it's not primary in the sense that it takes up the most time. It's primary in the sense that, that it is a focal point of our week. It's a focal point of your life even. The preaching of God's Word. But this means more than just preaching. This means helping you apply the Scriptures to your life. Now, one of the ways your elders have designed for us to, to take the preaching and apply it to our lives is through house gathering and DNA. Because, again, we know that we're not sufficient to help you all apply the Scriptures to every single one of your lives and to all the situations that each one of you, you know, multiply it out, find yourselves in daily, weekly, monthly. So, but God has given us the body, more than just elders to help in doing that. But in counseling situations, in impromptu conversations before church, after church, on the phone, house gatherings, those, those are times I genuinely am trying and desire to feed you the Word of God. So keep those things in mind. Keep that in mind. This also means that if an elder comes to you to speak truth in your life, if you get defensive or mad, it's like refusing life-giving water that God has sovereignly planned to give to you. You understand that? That's crazy. This also means that if you don't take advantage of the nurturing that comes from your elders, that you're just foolish. 
Take advantage of it. So elders nurture the flock. Number two, elders protect the flock. Elders protect the flock. Verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 29 through 31. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Okay, so we got that a lot of times as a church. Protection from the outside. Now we'll look at verse 30. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So both from without and from within. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So what's Paul doing? Paul's telling them to guard the church from persecution outside and from persecution within. (coughs) To guard them. People trying to pull people away from the mission, from the vision. Church, we're not beyond this. We're not beyond this. We have people who want to pull us away from the mission, from the vision, from what God's called us to do. Many churches have so much struggle inside, and it's oftentimes because the elders are just simply not willing to protect the flock. They're not willing to say, hey, I think it'd be best for you to find another church. Do you know what your elders have said that? we've asked people to continue on their journey in finding a church we've had to press up against people who wanted to teach false doctrine and when pressing up against them they began to get uncomfortable and by God's grace they left and that's hard that's painful it's not fun. I don't, didn't enjoy that conversation or those conversations. But elders are called to protect the flock. Now, I know in our culture, in our church today, people don't like that, right? Church is supposed to be for everyone. Well, it's not for everyone. It's just not. And not like God has called these people together. And maybe for some people, a different church is a better fit. And that's okay. That's okay. But elders are called to protect. He says it right here. We just live in such an inclusivistic, don't want to offend anybody kind of culture that what happens then is the church just becomes disunified and begins to struggle and pain and become ineffective for the mission in the kingdom of God. When elders are called to protect, even if that means offending somebody, called to protect. Now, follower of Christ, do you recognize your need for protection and nurturing by God's elders? If you do, then you will seek nurturing and protection. I want to encourage you, if you're a a newer family, you're either pursuing membership right now, or you're just attending now, or you've become a member even over the past year, I want to encourage you with this. The wonderful community that you're enjoying right now, the wonderful spirit of this place, 
both here and in house gatherings and the community throughout the rest of the week. That that you're enjoying is in large part due to the members before you and they're having faithfully sought the protection and nurturing from God's elders. As an understanding, what we're enjoying here today is three or four years of really fleshing that out. What does that look like? How do we enjoy this kind of relationship? Um, among many other things, but that's at least one major piece there. There, there is a core group of people that have been here for a long time that, like, the interchange, like the exchange, rather, of relationship between their elders and them is just marvelous and wonderful and enjoyable. And, and I'm thanking God that He is growing that group. And so my encouragement to you, if you're a newer person, to look at that, to love that, to want to be a part of that, to be excited about that. That there is a shep- there's shepherds and there is a flock and, and God is blessing that relationship. So I want to encourage you with that. So the first two responsibilities are this. Elders lead under the authority of Christ. Elders care for the body of Christ. And number three, elders teach the word of Christ. Elders teach the word of Christ. Let me give a, a little caveat here, okay? This doesn't mean that I just simply explain what Scripture is explicitly stating. Okay? What this means is teaching the Word of God, including its implications and its applications. Alright? So, my role, Rusty's role, is not to give you a commentary on the Bible. Not just that. It includes that but it's also to help explain its various applications and what the Scriptures are implying that it's not stating explicitly. Now look at Acts 20, verse 32. He says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace. So Paul's saying, you elders, I'm commending you. You elders, you leaders of the church, I'm commending you to the word of His grace. So Paul knows And these elders know that their authority, now hear me clearly, is bound up with the word of grace. Okay? Elders are in the position they are in only because the word of God is in that position. So here's the implication. So however closely an elder aligns himself his words, his actions with the word, the more effective they become as leaders of the church. Elders and the word of God go together. So, let me, let me paint this picture. Matt's words do not have equal authority with the scriptures. So long as, but Matt's words that accurately represent Scripture carry equal authority with the Scriptures. Why? Because they are the Scriptures. Does that make sense? Same thing with Rusty. Same thing, really, with anyone. Let me say that again. Matt's words don't carry equal authority with the Scripture. 
But Matt's words that equally, that, that accurately rather, represent the Scriptures does carry equal authority. Why? Because they're just simply a restatement of the Scriptures. And our responsibility is to obey the Scriptures. Make sense? Okay, good. So elders, and so that's what I mean by elders and the Word of God go together, that they're intertwined. That an elder's authority only goes as far as it is intertwined with the Word. Now here's the dangerous part. The dangerous part is that when we don't want to hear something, we will quickly justify it away as just being some man's ideas that we don't want to hear. That's our, that's our tendency. But you have to understand that your tendency is that, and that your elders are supposed to be, and will be held accountable by God, to bring the word to bear on your life. Not just their own will and plan for your life. Alright, so let's talk about this. Elders must know the word extensively. Elders must know the word extensively. If they're to lead like this, they must know the word extensively. Leaders must have a thorough biblical knowledge. Study the scriptures, memorize it, meditate on it. These are the guys who should know the word best in the local church. But not only know it, but also know how it relates to our culture both as a church and to our culture out there. They should know the Scriptures in a way that they are able to use it to cut straight to the issues of our hearts. Like, wow, that's, that's a little piercing. I kind of feel like I kind of went straight in. Yeah, it's supposed to be that way. The Word divides like that. The second thing is that elders must communicate the word effectively. So again, this is under elders teach the word. Elders must communicate the word effectively. I want you to see how important this function is in the church. This is what sets apart elders from simply godly men in the church. 1 Timothy 3.2 Therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, what? Able to teach. You know, a character and then a function. Like a, a character and then something that they're, a skill that they're able to do. And then in First Timothy 5.17, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. I'm not going to preach on that today. Go to the second part. Especially those who's, who labor in preaching and teaching. Now here's the deal. The idea here is not you have some elders that labor in preaching and teaching and some elders who don't. What it means is, it really means is indeed. So let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Indeed, those elders who labor in preaching and in teaching. So the idea here is not a different classes of elders, but they all labor in preaching and teaching because that's their role. So the picture here is that elders should be able to encourage people with the Word of God, to comfort people with the Word of God, to persuade people with the Word of God, to challenge people with the Word of God, and to show people answers from the Word of God. This is a huge task, and this is something that sets the elders apart. 
a Christian, follower of Christ. It's about more, again, like I said earlier, than explicitly what the Scriptures state. God equips His elders for the sake of His bride to say and do things that are very tightly connected and informed by the Word of Christ. God gifts men to the church, gifts men to the church who are leading and applying the Scriptures to everything they say and do. I want to encourage you to be listening to their words and watching what they do, trusting that it is informed and guided by the Scriptures. Now, again, you should be getting into the Scriptures and testing that and and searching that yourself as well. But God has given this. These are gifts to you. When it comes to teaching you the Word of God, I want to encourage you this way, church. If your elders believe that you need to be taught a certain thing concerning the Scriptures, you are crazy for not taking advantage of it. Okay? It's crazy. He's given you elders to teach you the Word of Truth. To help you see it. And to oversee and to, to, to give an account for your soul. All right, number four. Elders model the character of Christ. We're going to move pretty quickly through this one. There are three main passages that describe the qualifications for elders. I want you to write these down and you can look at these later. 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, 1 Peter 5. Let's very quickly read through 1 Timothy 3, 2-7. through 7. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil." Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that, they, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So I'm not going to read the Titus list and the First Peter list, but basically out of these three lists, I'm going to put together for you very quickly qualifications for elders. Now here's the deal. There is nothing, nothing in this passage, in these passages, that is not also required of you all. This is also, this are, these are things that are required of all of us. The only difference is that elders are required to live these in an exemplary way. To live in an imitatable way concerning these qualifications. But we're all required to be hospitable, kind, caring, above reproach. To some extent, we're all required to be able to teach the Scriptures. Sometimes that's left out as an exception. I, I don't think it is. I think it's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 28. Go make disciples. You should be able to teach others the Scriptures. We're all told to do these things. But like I said, elders are supposed to model this character for the church. 
Now the primary question is this, what will happen if the church imitates these leaders or this leader? This is a heavy question. I've asked myself many times. Look, Hebrews 13, 7. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Who's he think- I mean, who's he thinking about here? I think he's thinking about all leaders, but I think there's, a, there's an emphasis here on <clears throat> elders who spoke the word of God. And he says this, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Is consider the outcome of their way of life. You know what that means? That means you need to observe. You need to observe and evaluate. Observe, evaluate. Observe, evaluate. Consider the outcome of their way of life. And then imitate their faith. I think there's many of us that are willing to imitate their faith. We just don't spend enough time considering the outcome of their way of life. We should do that more. Paul tells the people to imitate him. This is what leaders and elders are called to do. I'm supposed to be able to stand up here, Rusty's supposed to be able to stand up here and say to you, consider the outcome of my way of life and imitate my faith. That, that's a burden. I, 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 that's a burden. So what will happen if a church imitates the life of its elder? So in his personal life, these are just some quick questions. If you have time to jot them down, I can give you the list later. But in his personal life, is he self-controlled, not given to drunkenness, not addicted? Is he wise? Is he able to make wise decisions? Is he peaceable? Elders don't start fires. And I would say if an elder is doing his job, he's going to be too busy putting out fires, not having enough time to start his own fires. Just a side note. Is he gentle? He's not a wimp. I understand, there's a difference. Is he gentle? But that doesn't mean he's a wimp. Right? Is he a sacrificial giver? Is he humble? Is he patient? Is he honest? Is he disciplined? How about in his family life? Now remember, it doesn't mean that he's perfect at these things. But the trajectory he's on, and is he exemplary in these things in the flock that God's called him to care for? How about in his personal life? Is he, I'm sorry, we already did that one. In his family life, in his family life, is he the elder in his home? Is he the shepherd, the overseer of his home? So underneath that sub-questions is, is he leading his family under the authority of Christ? Is he caring for them? Is he teaching his family the word of Christ? And what I mean by this is not just subcontracting that job out. Well, I take them to church. They don't work that way. Like, 
I oversee the children's ministry, okay? Like, I mean, as an elder, it's more Rusty's direct oversight, but oversee that. And I don't leave it to our children's ministry to teach my kids the Word. I teach them the Word. And come alongside our children's ministry. I, I want them to, I mean, them to come alongside of me and help me in these ways, in a partnership. But it's my responsibility to teach my wife. I can't get one day to heaven and say, well, you know, that children's ministry just didn't teach them very well. God's going to look at you and look at me and go, what? Are you smoking something? Like, like that's crazy. That's your responsibility. It was your responsibility. Now, what about single guys? I think Paul's a good example. If he's single, is he self-controlled? If he is married, is he completely committed to his wife? If he has children, do they honor him? Is he an example for parenting? Is an elder an example? Is the elder an example for parenting? Now, what about in his social or business life? Is he kind? Is he hospitable? Is he a friend of strangers? Does he show favoritism? Does he have a blameless reputation? Is he above reproach? Number four, in his spiritual life. Listen to this question. Is he making disciples? Is he making disciples? You know, as we think about new elders at Renovation Church, one thing I want you to know is these things have to be happening for someone to become a new elder, including this one. They have to be making disciples already. Is he leading people to Christ? And then is he teaching others how to follow Christ? Does he love the Word? Is he a man of prayer? Is he holy? Is he gracious? So let's land the plane with these few thoughts. Do you, do you see, look at me for just a second, do you see how important these guys are to the church? Do you see that? Everybody see that? No, it's how important. It's, are these the kind of guys that you want to be led by in the church? I do. Yeah, I do. You know, as I think about Rusty, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a sense in which Rusty and I are pastors over Renovation Church. But there's a sense in which Rusty is my pastor. And I'm his pastor. Right? And so there's this, there's this when I think of Rusty's life, am I willing to imitate his life? And, and I can say without hesitation, yes, I am. I've considered the outcome of his way of life. And I desire to imitate his faith. In many ways, his stronger faith than I have. And vice versa. There's ways in which my faith is exemplified in different ways that, that is encouragement to his soul. These are the kind of men. And then, are we willing to follow that? What does that look like? But you can see how biblical leadership and the point of the church to be a display of the manifold wisdom of God you can see how those two things come together, right? 
how the leaders help us do that. How they lead us in doing that. These are guys, leaders, guys, elders on the front line displaying what all of this is supposed to look like. You see, there's a sense in which the elder body is supposed to be kind of like a church within a church. Where they are shepherding each other and elding each other and and being a family together and servants among each other and worshipers among each other and, and then living out the identity of Christ between each other. And I... And, and I can say, like, I enjoy church with Rusty Johnson. I enjoy looking to him as a pastor in my life. I enjoy imitating his faith and the fruits that come from that. I enjoy doing life with him. Being a family together. There's times where, like, the, the family that I want most to come over to my house and enjoy time with my family is my other pastor. Because there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a friendship there and a family there and a, and a love there that my desire, among many things, is that you guys would see that and want that and be a part of that and have that as a, as a church that you get to watch that in Rusty and I and our families' lives. So I want to encourage you this way. Be humble and observe. Be humble, follow, and observe, and imitate. You know, right now, my, let's say that she's not in here and hopefully not going into labor yet. <clears throat> my wife calls and texts me, and she's having some of her alone time that she does on Friday mornings. This was a week or so ago, and she says, do you have a good book that I can read? I just want to this. I want to observe Jesus. Like, I want to observe Jesus. And then I responded all cutely. There's four of them in the Bible, the Gospels, right? <laughs> she calls me a smart aleck and, you know. <clears throat> but here's what she wants to do. She's, and she's just beginning this journey. She wants to, so you can, you can obviously read the Bible in different ways. You can read it for what's the main point of that passage. But particularly when it comes to the Gospels, you can read it to just simply observe Jesus. To observe Christ. What does she want to do? And this, is, this was her desire. She wants to see how he uses his authority. How he cares for his people. How he nurtures them. How he protects them, even from their own sin. How he communicates the scriptures. In various contexts, when he communicates the scripture, what's his tone? Sometimes he's brash, even sarcastic. Sometimes we'd be, we'd be highly offended on many things Jesus says. Other times he's very gentle and gracious and even just forbearing. You, know, you disciples, what are you thinking? Like, how much longer was, must I deal with you, you know? A sense of. But what's, how's he do this? How, how's his character displayed in various situations of life. I want to observe that. I want to see that in Christ's life. Now all that sets us up to think about this. Jesus is our ultimate example of everything we have talked about today. Everything. He is our example. And so when I think about the fact that I, Rusty, we have, God has called us to be these people, like I'm so thankful that He was that person. And that the goal is not for you 
to just look at my life, Rusty's life, and for all of that weight to fall on Rusty and I, certainly some of it, but it points beyond us. It points beyond to the one that we follow. He is ultimately who we look to. But here's the graciousness to us, church, is that in God's kindness, for our frail eyes and wandering hearts, He has given us a group of men called elders, pastors, elders, or overseers, shepherds, that this is what they do. They exercise Christ's authority in our lives. They care for us. They teach us the Word. And they model the character of Christ to us. You know, and one of the beauties of, of having what I believe biblically is required, a plurality of elders, is that I can genuinely say with you, we have been given men called to do this. Rusty exercises Christ's authority in my life. He exercises care in my life. He teaches me the word. He models the character of Christ for me. And we desire to do that for you. And so the last thing I would say is this. See your elders as a grace to you and respond accordingly. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Um, We should probably sing one song and call it a day. So let's make this one glorious and we'll pray and and, uh, we'll be dismissed. Father, Thank you for your kindness to us today. Father, thank you that I get to preach to Renovation Church. Father, a group of people that you have assembled, that you have bought and paid for with the blood of your son Jesus. That we, Father, I just am thankful that I get to pastor here. That I get to be an elder here. Even with all of its weightiness. Father, I pray that that as our flock here grows, that one of the sweetnesses about our church that continues and grows is the relationship between the flock and the shepherd. And Father, I pray that as we seek to add and and develop and install new elders, that that men would look at that relationship that these sheep and these shepherds have and want to be a part of that. They would want to be elders in that context. And then as people who have no calling to be elders look at their relationship, they go, I want to be a part of that. Father, I pray that you would help us see where we're not responding appropriately to this leadership in our lives. That we'd repent where necessary and that we would trust in your forgiveness, Father, that you would lead us to be the kind of sheep and the kind of elders that you have called us to be, knowing that you will make us into those, slowly but surely. Father, I give you praise, and in your sons, Jesus, in his name we pray, amen.